1: This is an Irish Independent Podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry. Families are messy and complicated and can be difficult to navigate when you're an adult. But growing up, how did your childhood experiences shape who you are now? And if there are some hang-ups that are holding you back, can they be overcome this week i am delighted to be joined by psychotherapist richard hogan whose new book home is where the start is looks at how your family shaped who you are and how understanding your unique experience can help you become the best version of yourself richard welcome to the show thank you Carl. good to be here I didn't realize you were from Cork. We were oh, chatting yeah. before we came on uh, air yeah. and you're actually from very
1: near where we live, where, where we moved <laughs> yeah. in West Cork. It's a small world. It's a very small world.
0: The book is out in two weeks. It's already rocking up the charts. It
1: is. It's number two in the bestsellers currently, which I'm, I'm actually kind of overwhelmed by the response to it and the and the amount of messages that, I, that I've that i been receiving because I've been thinking, when you know, just before I came out, I was thinking, why did I embed myself into this narrative? I could have written a nice book yeah. around theory without putting my own story in there. But actually the feedback I've been getting and the messages from people and the emails and actually left into my clinic from people who said that's my experience growing up because alcohol is a huge problem in this country mm-hmm. and so i you know I speak about growing up with alcoholism present in the family and i I heard a lot this week in the last two weeks from children who grew up with parents who were addicts and I suppose oh. that's what maybe kind of put myself into it and um and I suppose I felt over the last two weeks I'm glad I did know yeah. I, I raised maybe that experience articulate an experience that a lot of us don't speak about and
0: do you think the fact that uh, it's sold so well already shows that we've a nation out
1: there who are suffering yeah, i somewhat? think i think well we all come out of families <laughs> yeah, we do. you know and i think <laughs> the book is tapping into like you know well what was your family like i mean it really clearly describes all the different types of families the early attachments that you have with your primary caregiver what they can do to you because I suppose Carl working clinically what I see is people come in and they say to me I don't know why I do that I don't know why that's my worst default response I don't know why when I get into a conflict that's how I am I don't understand i hear women say why I pick this type of partner all the time I don't know why you know that, that question I don't know why yeah. and the book is trying to really unpack that and show us well here's the whys here, here are the potential whys and if you understand that bit you know, you can change how you think, you can change how you behave, and ultimately you can start bringing, as I did, a bit of joy into into your life. And that's why my story is in there, to show that I'm actually the theory in practice. I did this stuff myself and I changed the course and trajectory of my own life and if I can do it anyone can do it. you mentioned it several times yeah. so let's, so let's, let's start yeah, there yeah. then let's go there yeah. in terms of tell us a little bit about your background I know yep. it's, it's in the book but you know for people listening in tell them a Yeah, little well, bit I like, grew about up it. in a very loving family very fun family Um But there was addiction present in the family so there was that uncertainty all the time. There was that chaos at times and dysfunction in the family at times and then it all functioned so normally and so well and fun and singing and you know all that kind of stuff but at the same time then this was a a present in our family and it caused huge problems. It caused huge problems for me growing up in that uncertainty and never knowing what you're going to get in the morning never knowing what's going to be there in the evening so there's that sense of you know just never really having anything that's really solid or secure and that That really damaged, I think, my thinking as a teenager, you know, and I think that's the lived experience. And I I hear at my clinic of a lot of people who grew up with addiction in the family, that sense of uncertainty, that sense of never having a solid ground, you know, worried about bringing people into the house, worried about girlfriends coming in when you're a teenager, all that kind of stuff. Because at any moment, it it can be something completely different.
0: Okay, so our our childhood and our experiences, they really do shape.
1: Uh, They do, yeah. But here's the good. How we become, but not permanently. Not permanently. They really, and where we come in the family, for the first, the second, the third, all those things are really important. Also, our, our, our attachment to our primary caregiver is hugely significant. That develops how we talk to ourselves. You know, that develops the voice that's in there. You know, I meet clients and they say to me, I'm no good. I'm not that. No, you know, nothing ever good happens in my life. And I'm not just nobody likes me. Like you, you weren't born thinking those things. But the family maybe and the environment that you existed in, the ecology that you existed in gave you some really negative feedback here. How about we figure out what that ecology, that system was, unpack it. And now here's the really important part. Move past it. Right. And I think sometimes psychotherapy can get you caught in the, the trauma there and not help you out of it. And that's a, a key thing that the book is trying to do is here's a roadmap out of it. Here's some ideas that you might help you to think a bit differently. Here's what you possibly might think. And here's how you can think differently.
0: OK, and that's important mm-hmm. to
1: remind people that there is a way Absolutely. out of it. Yes. And you can, you can by with work. You can yeah, work your way through it. Whole, like change. We're always we're never one thing for too long. And what Carl Jung says, you know, one of the great psychologists, um, you're not what happened to you. You're who you choose to become. And that becoming is the most remarkable journey any of us go on. And at times it can be tainted and corrupted by a lot of the stuff that we navigate going through schools, going through our family, going through our relationships. But families are like there's no normal family. No, there's not. That's important to
0: remember (laughs) because, you know, that, that sense of normal. I don't think it exists. We all think it exists, but it actually doesn't. No. That, like, no, no. They are complicated. Yeah, they're, they are messy. And like every family will have
1: stuff. Well, it's it'd the be most, weird if it didn't. You know, I'm a systems trained psychotherapist. Yeah. The, it's the most complicated system you're ever going to navigate and you'll be navigating it for the rest of your life is the family system. And it has a thing called homeostasis balance an equilibrium and so wherever you come in the system and how your parents thought about you and spoke about you that's all about keeping the balance and maintaining mm-hmm. the balance you know when you go back into your family currently Christmas you're immediately dragged back Absolutely. into that position that you were as a child and your parents have you labeled as that and that's who you are and the minute mm-hmm. you start to step outside that they're of go back into your role because that helps us make sense of the complexity of this whole system and that's what happens with families you get labeled it's not out of malice but it's out of like reducing the complexity and making it much easier for the family to understand you you know, it's every, very much a parent's rogue. way of dealing with exactly. it. It's that the yeah. child is shy, bold, fun, hey, happy, whatever. They're the responsible one. They're the wild one. Yes. They're the academic one. They're the sporty one. And so you get reduced, you know, right down into this and quick for, description. For
0: parents listening in, they are starting to feel guilty. <laughs> it is important to remind yeah. them too that, that's quite normal. Oh, no, absolutely.
1: It? It's it's about reducing complexity. Yes. And what I'd say to parents always is that labels don't predict the future. They write them. And so if you want to see, ch- if you want to introduce change in how your child behaves, speak about them differently when they're just out of earshot. Because you know, they listening. hear everything. They hear absolutely everything. You think they're not listening and you're talking to your brother going, oh God, that card is so wild. He's whatever." If you want to change how they perceive themselves and start to behave, I would say talk about them differently and watch them live up to the label that you give them.
0: Talk to me about intergenerational patterns yeah. and how they can help you when you get a yeah. grasp of what they are.
1: Yeah, well, what I do and what I clearly describe in the book is a genogram. And often when I'm working, I'll start off with the genogram, which is a visual representation of your family. So it's like a family tree, but it's looking at beliefs and values. It's not a static thing. It's constantly moving. And so what is remarkable, Karen, when I'm doing this work with people, they'd say, my God, I never realized my grandfather struggled with addiction. My father struggled with addiction. I'm struggling with addiction. Or, uh, you know, my grandmother got pregnant early in her life. My mother got pregnant earlier in her life. I got pregnant early in my life. There's patterns that exist in family systems. And often we walk into a, let's say we go into college and we meet someone at the college bar and we go off into this romantic life and we have children. And we don't think, I wonder, you know, are all these patterns present now? And what was some of the legacies that were handed down to me as a, you know, what did I see my parents model for me in their relationship? What am I going to bring into my relationship here? And how am I going to parent my kids? And it's such a complicated, dense thing. And children expect their parents to be perfect. You know, they ex- just expect them to be absolutely perfect. And it's an unrealistic expectation. And so we're all, as you said, parents, families, people are messy. Families are very messy. And so we bring all this mess together and then we try to coherently parent someone. And it's not a, it's not often a very coherent ex- you know, endeavor. And so children can look at look. When you look at your intergenerational patterns that are evident in your family, you can start to see, God, yeah, I'm not a prisoner of that stuff. It exists in the family. For me, when I looked at it, I was like, oh, "Well, that's it. I'm never. I'm not going to be. In a, I'm not going to be drinking heavily. I'm not going to be an addict. I'm going to watch that because it's there, mm-hmm. and I could easily yeah. live into it. And I was drink drank heavily enough in my twenties, and I could easy, easily got into that life. And I was like, "Well, no. I'm going to end that historically negative thing pattern that's in the family.
0: And was there a point in your twenties where you made that? Yeah, because that can happen for people. Can't it? Like we would see it for people who want to get fit, get healthy, yeah, lose yeah, weight. Yeah. There can be a point or an axis where something kind of forces them to make the yeah, decision. Yeah, no,
1: yeah, it's a good question. Um, and, and I didn't really talk about my family at all. You know, my girlfriend, who's my wife now for twenty years, I didn't speak about my life at all. Really, growing up, you know, because it was it was something that was troubling me. And yeah. I didn't know how to express it, and it was confusing and all that kind of stuff, and painful. Um, it wasn't until we sat down one evening and we were kind of talking about having kids and all that. I was like, you know. That's, I, need to, I need to address this stuff. I need to look at this stuff and really start going back into it and analysing it and trying to figure out because I don't want to bring any of that stuff into mm-hmm. my life. You know, that's a real negative thing to, to bring into your life and I want it to thrive in my life and I wanted my children never to look at the car and think, oh shit, dad's home. I felt that you know I, I never wanted my kids to think that that was you know that the, when they saw the car that it was a negative thing or when they saw me at the door it was a, I wanted them to kind of like you know have a nice life and enjoy uh, and ulti- ultimately what a loss it would be for me mm-hmm. to miss out on that joy because that's the greatest joy I have in my life is being with my children you know I've been at home and watching you know silly programs like A, a Dog's Journey <laughs> it's now my favourite it's now surpassed The Godfather <laughs> as the most important
0: movie in my life I, you, you make You make Parenting sound idyllic, and I'm aware of the parents who are listening in thinking, Oh man, I'm going home to two kids now who are wild (laughs) bouncing around the house. I don't have that, you know. that they struggle with and that's normal mm, too
1: Absolutely and then I, I, I feel for parents yeah. I think parents it's a tougher job than it's ever been and parents thinking you know, now on top of everything else I have to be a psychologist a clinical psychologist <laughs> yeah. a psychotherapist a counsellor and a psychiatrist uh, and then build my child's resilience so it's kind of like and then work two jobs you know and mm-hmm. all the things that we're doing so there's incredible pressure on parents and I think on, on mothers particularly because I think what can happen to moms is that they look at their own mother and think god oh, she was with me a lot more than, and they get really they get guilty, guilty. Yeah. and then they parent from that position of guilt and it causes all sorts of problems you, you acquiesce, you give in to the child, you give them everything they want, and then you got a child who's got lots of expectations and difficult to manage in, in adolescence and all that and so that's what the kind of what I'm trying to do in the bu- in the book is like a roadmap. Yeah, To that where you kind of watch all that stuff and understand the importance of how you were parented and how you're going to parent. But it's not essentially a parenting book. It's a book for all of us who come out of a, a family and want to think about maybe beginning to thrive in their lives and to think differently about themselves and to unpack some of the voice that's in there that might be self-limiting and. Restricting and holding you back because we all have it. It's a bit of just being a Homo Sapien the negative. It's
0: and the key the key thing from just listening to you there is that it's that ability to talk your way out of yeah. it. That you yeah. have people in relationships all around the country who are listening in who would never have that chat with a uh, with a partner the way you, yeah. the way you did that reflective yeah. piece of say well, yeah. I need to sort you know that, yeah, yeah and that chat's really important as almost Absolutely. in a therapeutic way yeah, isn't yeah. it yeah. to talk about. Your past, yeah. talk about your experiences. Yeah. You got to get it out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sharing it with sharing a partner it or, is a, very or powerful.
1: A, a sibling or a friend or whatever I've is found, really I've, crucial. I've, yeah, no, sorry, I actually really found having written the book, and I'm a psychotherapist, and you know, I do a lot of you know self analysis. all that I found it was really cathartic. And the response that people, you know, that I've received has been really cathartic. And, and I feel like, oh, there's actually, some, and I just know that anyway, you know, just being a human being, speaking about our lived experience is important, but also understanding that we're not a victim to things you know, that I don't see myself as a victim to this mm-hmm. childhood. And there was great moments in my childhood, too, and that I can celebrate those great moments and I can understand the negative moments. And I'm not that that was a part of my childhood and this formed shaped who I am. But I also am something else besides that. And that's a really empowering thing that you can say, I can ha- I've had this negative experience in some ways, but I'm actually able to move beyond it. And I have stopped that legacy, say, of alcohol or addiction. And so my kids will never know what it's like to go down to the pub and the barman know my name, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. They won't ever experience that. And so that you're never, you're never a prisoner to things. That's what I'm trying to say there, that you can always move beyond what's in the family, historically speaking. And those early
0: kind of beliefs, presumably they will in some way, shape or form, always stay with you to a greater or
1: lesser extent. Yeah, well, you can work them out. Yeah so we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day and 90% of those are what we thought yesterday so like you know we're constantly <laughs> thinking the same thing we're thinking of patterns because the brain has got an incredibly difficult job to do I mean the complicated computations of me sitting here and trying to understand exactly what's going on mm-hmm. here it's filtering out all this room I haven't noticed that bag for example until now I've looked around so your brain is constantly filtering out stuff and it's filtering out at times it can filter out good things for you Carl and so you can become primed to only see negative and that's what I'd see in my clinic people would say To me no nothing good ever happens to me and you you just unpack that and you figure out where that voice that corruption crept in and then how to kind of rewire your thinking and that's kind of what's really important here we can always think more positively we can always move beyond negative patterns i mean it's neuroscience which just say that when you thought when you think billions of neurons connect the neural growth factor knits around that that's a thought then i look for confirmation bias Let's say I think I'm stupid and then I go into your class you're a teacher and you give me like an F and say Richard Hogan you're so stupid the 80s Ireland right that becomes a pathway which means it's the only thought now available to me and so when I think about myself I think I'm stupid I'm not that bright I'm not that clever it's self-fulfilling Yeah and yeah. then you f- then you fulfill that prophecy you know and I work a lot with teachers and all that and they said this guy's really difficult in the class and I said well if you talked about him differently watch what might happen there and so there's a lot of self-fulfilling prophecies that that go on uh,
0: the the talking thing is a fast it's a fascinating angle on it which is change how you speak about the person when
1: the person's around yeah absolutely think about but and think change how you speak to yourself the most important relationship you'll ever have is that relationship up here it's the longest relationship you'll ever have in your life and how is that voice is it supportive is it like championing you on and saying you know i think you're pretty great here you've got a lot of talent here or is it saying terrible i mean i sit with it all day long in the clinic and i hear incredible people and i and i'd say to them would you say that to me and they'd say no jesus i would never say that to you And i'd say why not And they'd say i like you and i'd say should you not like yourself mm. isn't that not the most important thing to do here is like yourself fundamentally first and that's not that big american you know looking no, for no. some mirror hey you're great. no this is not no, actually it's really it's, it's, seeing yourself yes. This is actually because the mirror, the mirror is tainted by all the stuff that you've experienced. And so when you come to see yourself in the mirror, it's not honestly reflected back. It's tainted through all the stuff, the labels, all the, your position in the family your attachments, mm-hmm. All of that stuff taints what, what was said to you in school. School is a, a massive system for labeling you. And so when you look at yourself, all those labels are there. And it's like what I'm saying is, imagine what it would be like to look at yourself unfiltered from those labels and that kind of corruption in your thinking. Then you'd see yourself as you truly are, Right, an incredible gift. I mean, the chances of us being alive here, Carl, are four hundred quadrillion to the power of a hundred and fifty thousand. In betting terms, almost zero. And so we 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 often give away that gift. We often that's a miracle. That that is absolutely a miracle. Life is a miracle. And so we often and give that a miracle away because we become tainted and all the stuff that's around us and all. I'm not that good. I'm not that clever. I, you know, I will get this is what I hear in the corporate space all the time by massive massive of people. I'll get found out. You know, people will know I'm not that oh, clever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, the, whole, the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome yeah. That's you know, but we, I think we all have a little bit of that going around because as Homo sapiens, it's probably better and beneficial for your survival to think the noise over there in the in the woods is bad rather than thinking oh it must be good I go over and investigate that so we're primed to kind of see negativity chat me about your personality trait then that's yeah. something that we should all know we should all know our personality this, the big 5 okay openness yeah extraversion agreeableness yep. conscientiousness and neuroticism okay and two of those are neuroscience would say if you got two high levels of these would increase your chances of being happy and so openness and extraversion so if you're open to things yeah and you're interested in new ideas, newer science would say. And if you if you get energy from connecting with people, because we're Homo sapiens, we're ma- we're mammals, we're designed yeah. to connect as locked Which is
0: why social networking is so important. Not, yeah. uh, not in the Facebook social, way, yeah, but actually. Yeah. In terms of meeting people, absolutely so
1: important with the aging process yeah. to keep you healthy. I mean, imme- immediately when I met you, I, I know I, I listened to my brain a lot, and it was going confirmation in-out bias, kind of like you know, do I know this kind of guy? I know, as I sit here, my brain was going yeah, filtering yeah. out and kind of going, yeah, I can. And then you said about cork, it was like it went into an like, in bias. I like this guy. He's someone I quirk can relate to. like other quirk people. Yeah, no, i now, now half quirk. Without, without even think without <laughs> consciously thinking it, your brain is doing that. Yeah. And so, you know, you're always doing that. And so being open and being extroverted um, is really helpful to kind of like, you know, feeling connected to other people. Conscientiousness, uh, you know, on a high level can lead to perfectionism right which a lot of lawyers would struggle with they're yeah. very conscientious because of the job they do they have to be conscientious but sometimes it can be overly conscientious and they can worry and this is a thing that i'd often say to people who are hyper conscious conscientious is that they often worry um because they believe that worry brings about a favorable outcome if i'm not worrying yeah doctors I, are like that yeah absolutely yeah. anybody who's at a high level they think you know if i'm not worrying i can get blindsided mm-hmm. i can get whacked by life and so what i'd explain to them that that doesn't change the future outcome of any Potential event; it only ruins your present, and so you can live with less worry in your life and not get whacked by life. You know what I mean? And so people would say neuroticism would be constantly; um, their moods would be in flux because they listen and they take what people say about them, you know, to heart, Mm -hmm. and so they're constantly. Their, their well-being is hooked to an external force and that can cause loads of problems. And agreeableness, I would say, for women uh, is a problem in their 40s. They, they get labelled very early in childhood and I see it. I've got three daughters myself and I can see what the eldest, if there's an eldest uh, daughter listening to this who's a mother now, you got labelled probably very young as the good daughter. Of course. You know, And then you were the good sister yep. and then you were the great wife and now you're the great mother. And now you're going back to the great mother again, the daughter again, because your parents are elderly and now Mm -hmm. you're taking on all that role again. So that's an unsustainable pressure to be under. And you develop this paradigm. And I'd say to I work with a lot with women around this and I'd say, what's the biggest fear there if you said no? And they're like that someone would say that I'm not helpful. Mm -hmm. So you can see the paradigm. I'm only valuable when I'm in service to people. I try to free them from that paradigm because that's a really restricting paradigm and 47.2 is our most unhappy year as a homo sapien as a human 47.2 Two, okay yeah. I'm, right. I'm 47.3 now so I'm just moving past it but <laughs> here, I'm 41 I have a while to <laughs> you're random, yeah. but there's some pit traps there to watch out for, and yeah, I'd, for yeah. I'd say for men it's like you know losing connection with your friends because you get so consumed with your career family, family your career, and career yeah. and all that and you lose contact and I think in an Irish context we're very bad at holding on to our friends you know we lose them in, in the in the drive for a career and by the mid-40s we're kind of going a career should be this, this mm-hmm. and this and you get focused on it but actually you look around you have no connection and for women obviously there's a biological the menopause but also that sustain that agreeableness that trait agreeableness can be really problematic there that makes you feel that you have to be in service to people to be valuable and I'd say work at that one because that's only ever going to make you a people pleaser and that is someone who pleases nobody least of all themselves Final question um, Parents
0: listening in then Who are probably Struggling I would imagine A little bit We've covered a lot of ground Yeah we had uh, this land in this <laughs> the space of 20 minutes But They're going to they're gonna wonder How they're going to Parent their child hmm. Without messing them up <laughs> Basically <laughs> <laughs> Or if, you know And presumably That's kind of Impossible That yeah. they're just Going to do their best And sometimes they'll nail it And sometimes they won't And, and sometimes they'll lose the plot And, and shout and scream Carol, And Carol
1: That is good enough I'm a parent of three daughters. I get it right sometimes. I get it wrong sometimes. I try to minimize the, the errors. and I try to minimize the severity of the errors. But that's, you know, it's, you know the, it's okay to be okay. It's okay to be okay at your parenting from time to time. And that's good enough. And I think parents give themselves a terrible time that they have to be this incredibly perfect thing all the time. You're tired. You're working hard. You're hungry. I mean, that's all part of your children also learning that people have mm-hmm. bad moments. You know what I mean? I think parents have the unrealistic expectation that they must be perfect all the time for their children so that children see this perfect thing. That's not life when they go off into the working world. They have to navigate, people's moods are low and they have to navigate difficult people and they have to navigate people who don't treat them so well. And so at times, you know, you have to relax about how you're parenting your kids. It's not a game of perfect and you won't be perfect. I'm not perfect. My kids say to me sometimes, you're supposed to be the family therapist when I'm shouting up the stairs. I'm going, (laughs) turn off the lights or whatever. You know what I mean? And that's good enough
0: that's the best way to end this podcast (laughs) because you've got to reassure everyone out there who listens in that even even the guy who's telling us what to do he shows up the show and that's absolutely crucial The very best of luck with the book, Richard. Uh, Home is where the start is, Richard Hogan. It's out in all good bookstores and online now. It's been great to have you in. I think we'll definitely get you in again at some stage in the future if you come in and join us. Folks, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. You know where we are, at Carl Henry PT on Instagram, realhealth at independent.ie. A fascinating episode. Really hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week. Sláonga